you ready? Whenever you are, sir. All right. Well, hey, thanks for being so patient. Oh, no problem. Glad, glad are you a night owl or is this uh, is this hard for you? Nah, I'm a night owl. This is absolutely my time of the night. <laughs> All right. Well, this is this is a uh, prime time for you then, and and I will uh, I will struggle my way through this one because uh, I don't normally do not stay up this late with tiny humans. So, oh no. Well, well, I appreciate you. No, no, no. no. This is part. good. I'm, I per, I prefer a Sunday night as opposed to I don't know when the last time we recorded it was like a Wednesday mid morning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Something weird like that. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, Dan, Dan, Danimal. Dan's fine. Yep. Yeah, right. I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> All right, so so you uh, you are the grand poobah. You are the great and powerful Oz of the Discord channel now. I am indeed. Yes. What does that mean? What do you Pretty do? Exciting. You know, uh, I kind of actually we're kind of yeah, I'm getting a little more of the down low on that tomorrow. Uh, Nick and I are sitting down to go over a lot of that, but mostly just kind of keeping the peace, making sure everyone's kind of you know we're gonna have so many people coming in, and it's gonna be so much more so many more people on it, just to make sure everyone's kind of. Playing nice, and then also uh, one of the things that we talked about is because of my background, I used to work in customer service way back in the day, of like making sure that everyone isn't like wigging out. And there's one voice to talk to when we're uh, moving everyone over from Patreon over to our our subscription, doing just stuff like that, dealing with a lot of those sort of things. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna have to talk to me a lot when I have my swears. <laughs> Whenever I use swears. Well, well, well. You're going to have to talk to me. It will be like one of those things where I pull you aside and be like, listen, it's fine. But yeah. I had to I had to say it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and then I'll just start using like the dad gummit and all of that good stuff. There we go. I'm, right. I'm in. So so uh, outside of that, last time we spoke was about a month ago. And we talked mm-hmm. about uh, the San Diego Padres. And you had another relatively interesting group of people to write up on, and I am thrilled to talk to you about it. Yeah, um, I was pumped to get the to get a chance to do the unions. Yeah, the the Cleveland I words. We won't. I don't know. Yep. And and uh, it. What's that? I was just gonna say I'm with you. It, it bugs me too. I wish they kind of uh, <laughs> changed the name to something yeah. different. But <laughs> yeah, but what what can you do? As long as they're not running around with Chief Wahoo, that's I mean progress. Absolutely. I was so happy when they when they push that aside. Yeah. So uh, I got a, a bunch of names that I want to talk to you about. I want to talk about Francisco mm-hmm. Lindor, Jose Ramirez, Oscar Mercado, Franimal Reyes, uh, Cesar Hernandez, Jake Bowers, and Greg Allen. Um, some of those names are more interesting and happy than others. Um, but uh, so we'll start with the good and then we'll we'll transition over to the bad. How does that sound? That sounds good to me. All right. So, um, would Cincinnati actually be in a better spot than Cleveland if, um, or would Cincinnati actually be a better spot than Cleveland for Francisco Lindor if he were ever traded to that group? You know, truthfully, I think uh, after looking at it, I think it's kind of a wash. The lineups are roughly about equal. I think the Indians have a little more on the high end of the superstar power, but then like. You know, Cincinnati's a little deeper, so it's kind of a, a wash in terms of, I think, runs and RBIs and stuff. But when you talk about the parks, because that's where everyone starts to get excited is Cincinnati versus Cleveland, is that they're actually basically the same park down the lines uh, in terms of their distance. And Lindor is an extreme power uh, pull hitter for his power. And so, so up down both lines uh, as a switch hitter. And so really they're kind of the same park. The only real difference you would get is maybe a couple more. 
uh, to center field, a couple extra home runs, uh, and maybe a few based on because they've got that taller the taller fence out in left field that maybe uh, he might get a handful more home runs. But honestly, I think it would probably be a wash. Elevation of weather are pretty much the same too. So I don't really see a huge change in his overall numbers depending on where he plays. Francisco Lindor is at a pretty deep position at shortstop, but he's maybe the cream of the crop. If you were in a dynasty league, we talked about the the San Diego Padres last time you and I spoke, and you were starting brand new today. You were given the choice Mm -hmm. between Fernando Tatis Jr. and Francisco Lindor. Which one would you end up taking? I'll take Lindor. Uh, You know, I'd take the the sure thing. We already know what Lindor is, and he's still young enough that he's still getting better. and gets better every year. Uh, whereas if Tatis becomes what even Lindor was was this year or last year, like we consider that a huge win that like he's he's hit his exact ceiling. So I think I'd rather take Lindor and get uh, maybe sacrifice a few years of age to get that sure thing. And uh, there are two shortstops that are right around uh, Francisco Lindor's age that have produced, I would say, very well. Um, that's Trey Turner and Trevor Story. So you have Lindor, Story, and Trey Turner. Uh, rank those guys in in your preference for Dynasty. I probably in that case go Lindor, Story, and then Turner. And the only reason being, obviously, that while Turner has the advantage over both of them in stolen bases, uh, I think that in the long run, I uh, – I trust uh, how do I put this that like you know I think it was actually we were seeing this article in Fangraphs the other day we were talking about this on the Discord that the categories that tend to lead the most to um you know to to winning in fantasy are runs and home runs on the on the hitting side and then strikeouts and uh, innings pitched or wins as well on the pitching side. And with Turner at some point, even he, he's getting up to those 20 home runs. And that's, you know, I think probably his peak. I don't see him ever getting up to 30, whereas Lindor's, you know, a 30 home run hitter, you know, is, is got that power, you know, so I, I, would, I would put Lindor over that. And Story, so long as he plays in Coors, I think he'll always have that home run upside, too, that will outweigh what value stolen bases are which in that article i was talking about stolen bases at their value of what they link to winning fantasy baseball teams tends to be further down the line so while obviously turner gives you a leg up in a category that uh has more scarcity i do think that uh the other two players give more in those other categories that will lead to winning uh baseball and i put lindor ahead of story solely because while story does play in coors Obviously, the way numbers are, are troubling because of the way Coors affects a player when they're not in Coors. But also, I don't, I don't trust the Rockies to put continuously put a good team around, uh, around story in, in the short term compared to Lindor. And that's saying something considering how cheap the, the Indians are. I trust them to put a better team or team around story around Lindor than I do story in your write up. You wrote that um, worst case scenario for Lindor is you could see his average dropping da- back to the 270 range and maybe home runs drop into the 25 range with 20 stolen with below 20 stolen bases. What happens? What in his profile do you see that could have his average dropping to the 270 range? What is it that that made you feel like that was the worst case scenario? The big thing uh, for me is that, you know, 
and you'll see actually what trend will kind of bring this up a little bit as we talk about a lot of these players. The Indians made a concerted effort to um, to have all of their hitters work more towards going the other way. The AL Central is one of the the highest uh, divisions for teams that use the shift. And so I think they're really concentrating on making sure that they couldn't get shifted on by a lot of these teams. And it kind of uh, messed with the hitters a little bit overall. Uh, but it uh, did lead to an increase in a lot of those players. We saw it with him, with Carlos Santana, uh, with a couple of the other players. We saw their averages go up a little bit because they were going the other way uh, against the shift. And I could see if teams stopped doing that, him going a little more back to his very heavy pull pro- pull approach uh, overall. And that will always kind of, to a certain degree, uh, limit his batting average. I think to a certain degree, if that is the end-up, end-up approach he gets to, the trade-off is he'll probably hit for more power, which I'll take any day. Yeah. So there was another player uh, for Cleveland that struggled, um, not last year, but maybe the year prior, and Jose Ramirez. True or false, mm-hmm. Jose Ramirez is the second best third baseman in the Central, AL Central. False. Well, you're I think, wrong, I mean, I think but go bad. on. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, are you going with your uh, your boy there? Um, Moncada? With, uh, uh, Moncada, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, that's not my boy. It should be everybody's boy because he's the best third baseman in baseball. But we won't. we don't have to argue that now. We can just we can both accept that that's truth and move on. So why is Jose Ramirez the best third baseman in the AL Central? You know, I mean, if you look at the numbers over the last three years, if you want to really look at this, and it's funny that especially in Dynasty, since we're talking Dynasty, it's it's funny that we forget because he's been in the league for a long time. The Indians are very aggressive about uh, about moving their their hitters up through the minors and through promoting them. Once they they feel they're ready, they always wait till the super two because they're cheap. But they always uh, they're pretty aggressive promoting them, and so it's funny. Uh, Ramirez is actually only twenty seven; he won't be twenty eight till next September. So you know we're really looking at still a pretty young player who's still getting better, who still uh, has all the room to improve. But over the last three years, he was uh, sixth overall in WRC plus amongst third basemen, fifth in home runs. He's actually tied with Bregman. Uh, fourth in runs, seventh in RBIs, and first in stolen bases. It's one of those things. It's kind of like with Lindor that, like, if if Yohan Moncada becomes Jose Ramirez, we're considering that a huge victory. Uh, and so I'd, I'd rather go with the player who's already that player. How much of that you know? success is predicated off of 2018, though? I mean, to be fair, 2019, he only had— less he only he had less than 25 home runs and he had less than 25 stolen bases so i mean if we're thinking about that you know like the 2020 season was fine but 30 30 is better right if i'm doing my math correctly sure absolutely but like also at the same time that is good math your math skills are good thank you (laughs) but like it's also worth noting that, like, Jose Ramirez, it wasn't just a one-year thing. You know, he was uh, he had a 146 WRC plus in 2017 as well. So, you know, he's been a good hitter for a while. And, you know, if you go and look at so many of the other stats, the stat casts and things like that that were backing up even what happened in 2019, it was all there. Um, he, you know, so he didn't really fall off the table at all. The skills are all still there. It was a weird season. Um, I actually in the write-up talk about how one of the downfalls, and the one thing that does give me pause with Ramirez uh, um, is that he's very uh, a 
it's, it's very much he's, his mechanics have to be perfect. He's so he's a smaller guy, right? And he hits the ball very hard, but it's all in his timing. And so uh, one of the things I think threw him off in 2019 was I think it was like God, it was like three days, three days before the season uh, started, he fouled the ball off his knee so bad they actually had to bring the card out and they carted him off the field. And he did not miss a single game. And you got to assume for a guy who timing is everything, that's just got to really, uh, really throw him off. So I, I'm not necessarily too worried about that. I just think he he will be prone to a certain level of um, streakiness. But I think if you look from 2017 on, it's kind of hard to find a better hitter that did, especially in fantasy, that did kind of everything across the board. I mean, Trout. Probably, but like, you know, 2016, he was a 119 WRC plus, 2017 at 146, 2018 at 146. And even in a down year, he still is a 104. So I'm not too worried about that long term. So is he like, I guess what I, what I would say is if you were going to, if you were going to make a guess, right, is over the next three years, right, is he um, uh, 90, 90? home run stolen base plateau is he 120 120 like where does he sit uh for you i think i would probably say if we're looking for like over the next three three years some more of an average i mean i think that if you know it's a, a 25 25 at, at, at his floor and then anything from there so you know somewhere between you know 100 100 all the way up through i don't think I don't think he'll ever really be, uh, you know, a get up to, you know, 40, 45 consistently. I mean, he came real close in 2018, but I do think 2018 was a career year uh, in terms of power. So I think we were talking probably more somewhere between 30 to 35 home runs somewhere in there per year. So it's almost more like a, a 100 to 120, you know, 100 to 115, somewhere in that range yeah. uh, in terms of you know, what he's going to do. The thing that really stuck out to me in 2018 was his walk rate. I mean, he went from an average of somewhere between seven to eight and a half percent all the way up to 15% Mm -hmm. on his walk rate, which really buoyed his OBP to 380 something like probably what, like 385 or so. So is he, Mm -hmm. and last year it dropped down to 327. Is he a guy that, that is going to become more patient? Can he do that? Or is there, is it a product of the season? Like what happened there? Well, I think, cause I, I watch a lot of Indians games, the full disclosures. I'm a, I'm from Cleveland. I'm an Indians fan. So oh, I watch all their games. God. I'm yeah, so I know. sorry. <laughs> oh gosh. I still 97 and, uh, oh God, all those years. But, uh, nonetheless, it's, uh, you know, I, I watch a lot of their games and really when you watched early season Jose Ramirez, you could tell his timing was off. And I think with a lot of players, what ends up happening uh, is sometimes those things that make you great kind of work against you. Know, what makes Jose Ramirez great is he has this like eternal sort of chip and swagger that uh, like a chip on his shoulder and a, a swagger that kind of goes with him that he's always the most confident person in the room. He's always believes in himself. And when you listen to a lot of the um, the announcers and the play-by-play guys talk about it, uh, they would talk about how, for the most part, he was trying to swing through it. You know, he was trying to figure out what was going on. And I think um, when I watched him early, he was doing a lot of weird on Jose Ramirez things, like uh, being very aggressive early in the count. 
and, you know, just kind of just trying to hit everything as hard as he could. We saw a pitch, you know, rather than being patient, which is what we saw in 2018. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see uh, somewhere in between those two results. You know, I, I don't think I'm I don't think we're going to see 15.2 percent again. That's uh, that was insane. Uh, again, I think that's his peak year. But I, I don't I wouldn't be shocked to see. I think his walk rate get back up into double digits, you know, somewhere in the 10 and a half, 11 percent range. Uh, you know, he doesn't chase too badly. He, his plate discipline numbers look pretty good overall. So I think, you know, he only has a 26.4 percent uh, O swing percent. He just swung it. Uh, you know, a lot more pitches. If you notice his uh, swing percentage in in uh, 2018 was 38.5%, which, my God, that's really low. Uh, but uh, it went up to 42.3. So he's swinging more, uh, you know, is just kind of trying to work his way through that problem. So I think it'll be interesting to see, um, but I, I would expect that to go back up into the double digits. All right, so the last question I had on Jose Ramirez, and and I wrote this out. Jose Ramirez is the number what third baseman in Dynasty, and he'll be there mm-hmm. for how many years? You fill in the blank. Um, well, I would say he's either the number two or number three third baseman in Dynasty for the next three to four years. Bold. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, he's only 27 again, so he's going to be playing way up into his 30s, you know, at, at this physical peak. And I think that one of the cool things that – when you think about this is that third base is not exactly known as a haven for stolen bases, right? In fantasy. And I think no matter what he does, you know, if you think of it this way, he had probably was easily one of the worst seasons of his career. It was the worst season of his career this year. And he still ended up by ESPN's player rater, the 11th ranked third baseman in the league. And, you know, that was with that abysmal first half and everything going on. So I think those stolen bases will always give him a high floor for where he'll end up in the third base rankings. Because really, you start going down. Bragman doesn't steal bases. Uh, You know, Rendon obviously doesn't. I mean, it really boils down to to, to your boy, to Mankata, and seeing what he can do in the future. And, you know, so I, I think at some point to think that he won't end up in the top three for the next three to four years while we're in his peak. Because that's the crazy thing. We're just entering Ramirez's peak as well. So, I mean, you know, I think that that will always end up propping his fantasy floor up into a place where he'll always be in that top three for a couple more years. Interesting. So, I mean, maybe, maybe, probably. But do you know who had more home runs than uh, Jose Ramirez last year? Uh, Who? Yoan Moncada. Do you you know who had a better OVP last year than Jose Ramirez? You want Moncada? Yeah, probably. so I rest my case. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm teasing. I, I honestly love, think, yeah, like, no. I, you're right, you're right. You know, if, if truth, truthfully, right, if Moncada can reach the, the Jose Ramirez ceiling, which I think he can, I think it's viable and possible, then it's, it's all roses. Um, but Jose Ramirez is phenomenal, so we're really splitting hairs at this right. point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd be happy to have either one of them, right? Yeah. And that's why I kind of say top two, top three is because I think any one of those three pick your pick your choice, right? Yeah. Um, anecdotally, I have found Oscar Mercado to be beloved by many people. Um, mm-hmm. I find him to be whelming. So, <laughs> so prove me wrong. I, I saw that in the uh, in the notes, and I was like, 
is that a typo? I think he's being funny. What is that? Yeah, no, but I'm uh, trying to be no, funny. I, it works. It doesn't work. I liked it. No, you got to chuckle out of me when I read it. I was like, okay, I like that. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, my thing with Oscar Mercado is that I think it's all about uh, expectations. You know, he's a, he's a he's very fast. I think a lot of people saw that that build and the makeup and thought started thinking more of. You know, your your speedsters start thinking more like Malik Smith, you know, kind of like obviously good Malik Smith, like when he hit like 300, you know, like that kind of thing hits like, you know, upper 280, 290 uh, hits, you know, steals 30 to 40 bases, just really like changes game changer in that sense. And I don't think that's who Mercado is. I think that's where you set your expectations. He's going to let you down uh, all the time. I think really what, uh, based on watching a full season of him, taking a look at his, his profile and what he put up that year, the guy who comes to mind for me for Mercado is Yasiel Puig. Um, he uh, reminds me a lot of Puig. Now, he's not nearly as big, like uh, as bulky as Puig is, but if you take Puig's numbers from when Puig was 24 and you compare him to where Mercado is uh, right now, they're, they're almost in lockstep. Right. You know, I mean, very similar ISOs and sluggings and, you know, a lot of the things that kind of lined up together. And that's what I, I actually find that pretty encouraging, because if you're thinking somewhere now, like a 270 average with 25 home runs and 20 plus stolen bases, that's I mean, that's a great player. We've been we've been betting on that for years. The difference being, obviously, that, you know, you have to wonder if Mercado has none of the other other things that come with uh, a Yasiel Puig, you know, uh, some of the quirks and some of the things that tend to, you know, get in Puig's own way sometimes. Also, didn't at 24 have to grow up in an organization that seemed to not really ever like him or support him. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that you have to wonder how much of that held Puig back, whereas the, you know, the Indians seem to be more about pushing him and embracing him. And, and they're doing a really good job of letting him also develop it in his own way you know let him he got a personal hitting coach and worked his butt off and all things so i really see that floor or that profile being mercado could be what we wanted puig to be for a long time if nothing else i think what we saw out of puig this year you know somewhere in that 25 home run 20 to 25 stolen base 260 average is what Mercado is right now. He got progressively so, uh, uh, worse though throughout the season, right? I mean, he came out guns a blazing May June, and really fell off when it got to July August, right? And I just I'm wondering why that might have been. So you know what's interesting is uh, kind of looking at it uh, in the write up. What I said was um, that kind of the 2019 season for Mer, uh, for Mercado was sort of sort of a tale of two Mercados, so to say. Uh, I wow. feel like I could have made a better Shakespeare. Yeah. I, I feel like I could have made a better Shakespeare reference somewhere in there. Like, you know, but, uh, um, or, but, uh, the thing with, um, with Mercado is that, you know, early on in the, in the season when, when he came out guns ablaze and it was, you know, a nice 280, you know, average. He was hitting for contact. He was going to all fields and all that stuff. And there was some power, but not a ton, ton, and he shifted somewhere in the middle of the season to he lifted the ball a lot more. He was going for a little more power and he hit for a lot more power. Um, and I think at some point when you look at a lot of young players, and we'll even talk about this a little bit more when we get to Jake, uh, Jake Bowers down the line, that young players don't make these changes uh, both A, they don't make these changes by accident and B, they don't make these changes like instantaneously in the way sometimes we see – 
uh, veterans do. So especially on the fly in the middle of their rookie season. So I, I do think that if it was a genuine change in approach for, for Mercado, my guess is my, – my suspicion is that somewhere in, in there in August, uh, you know, when he, when he did struggle, he was trying to change his approach. And that's just – that's tough for you to do against major league, uh, you know, major league stuff at 24, you know. Yeah. One of the That'd things that guess. I noticed was a bit of an anomaly with him is that he often found himself working from behind in the count. So mm-hmm. he had a, I mean, like he had uh, almost half of his plate appearances in an O one or one two count, and that always can put you on the defensive. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if he was way too patient at the plate, and he kind of needed to get after it, you know, a little bit more than he did. And I feel like that comes with time and confidence. Um, but often, I mean, he had of his however many 500 plus plate appearances how many did he have this past year 500 plus or there was 400 thereabouts mm-hmm. i mean over right ha- around there yeah yeah over half of them were in in 01 or 12 counts so i'm interested to see how he performs you know later on um this coming year if he if he comes out more um aggressive so you know okay so so yeah and i see that uh, yeah no, no, keep going. If that's what you, if you got something oh, else. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say that uh, it's actually, again, like following this team and seeing this team a lot. And like we even talked about this with the Padres that sometimes it's fun when you see, when you see an organization, uh, a trend in an organization and you start picking up on like, I wonder if this is a batting approach team wise. And that's actually something that the Indians really push is working counts, you know, and really like seeing a lot of pitches and stuff like that. And there's actually a trend a little bit of, Again, Mercado, we'll talk about Bowers. There's a couple guys uh, who you really got to be like, you got to get after it when you see your pitch. Right. You know? And so I wonder if that, if that is a thing that organizationally they do. Mm. Would you uh, Would you rather have Oscar Mercado or Andrew Benintendi over the next two years? Oh, that's a good one. That's Honestly, why they pay me the big point, bucks. Th- yeah, there you go. Um, I think probably, uh, and this might be my homerism, talking but i think there's a part of me that wants mercado because he's younger and you know you want the guy who if you're taking two guys who can run to first they get the same, the same time age when it's perfect or thereabouts are they yeah i think they're both is, 25 is ben that young? wow oh wow yeah man ben has been around forever um if that's the case then probably i'd rather have uh ben Intendi. at the end of the day he bats in a that lineup and he's gonna put up numbers Give me Ben and Tendi all day. Yeah, I probably um, I, I like probably Mercado. take Mercado more just based on the fact that I'm not. I I think that he probably has a little bit more speed and a little bit more power than Ben and Tendi. Um, but that doesn't mean that neither one of them are bad. I just I think if I were to make a decision, I'd, I feel like mm-hmm. Andrew Benintendi is store brand Oscar Mercado. You know what I mean? Like he's just name brand. So, um, all right, let me ask you one more, and then and then we'll we'll move on sure. to the next guy. Um, would you rather have Would you rather have Mercado or would you rather have David Dahl? Mercado. Me too. Uh, I love David Dahl's. I love David Dahl's skills, but that, he's made of glass. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't ever. I, I don't know when he's ever going to play a full season. Okay. So there is a there is a player who is a big beefy boy. Uh, my guy, mm-hmm. Fran Mill Reyes. 
Why is he? Why is he the best outfielder on the Cleveland team? I mean, it's the hitting potential is just through the roof. This guy, you know, hits the ball so hard, and you know, he really. I honestly put in here like the sky is the limit for his power. You know, um, we talk about last year. He had 37 home runs, and, you know, that's uh, by itself pretty impressive and pretty valuable. Uh, You know, whenever I look at his ADP after hitting 37 home runs, I can't believe, especially since 25 of them came in while playing for the Padres. So, you know, uh, he was hitting in Petco and still hitting those, uh, is that, you know, when you think about it, he already hit 37, and that's pretty darn good. But then you throw in the fact that he was uh, playing in the NL – and not being able to DH probably cost him. I, I looked through his game logs and saw like how many games did he not play a full uh, four plate appearance? You know, four plate appearances. Your typical sort of you know cleanup number five hitter should get in, in a baseball game, and it would have been up costing him somewhere between eighty and a hundred plate appearances. Uh, by the way that the the Padres played him because of his defense, and he doesn't he doesn't worry about that now. So at the pace he was hitting home runs. That's another five to six home runs. So you're talking suddenly he's hitting 42. You know, that's that's, you know, you know, that's great. And then, you know, you throw in the fact that when he came over to the Indians, um, there's actually it's really uh, interesting. He was he played in the area a lot when he was coming through the minors. Um, and so he actually has a lot of uh, Cleveland ties. He's really excited to come here. I think his, I want to say his fiance is from the area. Um, or something along those lines, but he has a lot of ties. He was very excited to come here when he came here, and God, he pressed so much. He tried to smack every ball out of the ballpark to make a good impression and make it all worth it. And it, he was just like it killed killed him. He was, I think, the first month he was here, it was like a 156 average, a 125 ISO. He only walked like 5.7 percent of the time and had a 37.1 K percent, right? Which is just all oh, that's bad. None of that. None of that's good. Uh, and uh, Tito Francona sat him down uh, like right at the end of the month. I think it was August 20th for two games and said, hey, uh, at least this is what the announcers were saying at the time. The play-by-play guys were saying that just give him the clear his head, calm down and be like, just go out there and be you. And he came back and over that over that last month uh, through the end of September, he hit 284 with eight home runs, a 12 percent walk rate, a 294. I saw a 141 WRC plus. And, you know, you got to wonder what happens if he doesn't have that terrible month as well. So, so there's a lot of potential there for home runs. The, the key is, can he be in the field? You know, and that's going to be the hard part. The nice thing is in Cleveland in left, uh, right, either right field or left field. Uh, but mostly I think they'll probably look at him in right field. Uh, they're not as worried about outfield defense because they strike out so many hitters. So they could probably get away with it to a certain degree. Well, good news for you. Um, according to uh, Zach Meisel, who, uh, from what the the internet tells me, is uh, the reporter for the Athletic Cleveland, uh, Fran Mil Reyes says he lost 18 pounds and feels more agile in the field, and he's never felt more powerful at the plate. So we have a best shape of his life alert, and and gotta love it. Fran Mill is ready to go and play the outfield. Are we buying yeah, into the you narrative? Know, uh... I think to some degree I am. I mean, one Zach uh, is pretty pretty wired into that uh, that clubhouse. He usually has a pretty good scoop on that team. So you know, I mean, obviously it's best shape of his life kind of reports and stuff like that. But that's what the Indians wanted him to do, 
uh, was to go and get in shape and really uh, kind of improve his mobility. And they've they've openly said many, many times throughout the offseason, and we'll see in spring training how it goes, but that they're going to give him the shot to win that right field job and, and win the full-time gig out there so he doesn't have to DH uh solely and that's a that, that could be a big thing for for him in that way is that uh if he can hold down that job that opens up a lot of other possibilities for the rest of the team too all right over under fran mil reyes home runs next three seasons 111 over over so you're saying he's gonna hit yeah. over 37 home runs on average the next three years i think so Ooh, I, I, I can't he yeah, you look at those StatCast numbers, and, and you look at the StatCast numbers, you look at everything that, that kind of came in last year, and I, I I might be seeing things through rose-colored glasses, but I just don't I don't see how he doesn't. Well, let me test the waters here just, just to see how hot we are. Um, would, you, would you guess that he hits more or less home runs uh, than Pete Alonzo over the next three seasons? Uh, I'd say less than Pete Alonzo. Okay. If nothing else... I have to go with Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso's done it at least once so far. So, so not until I see Rays yet. go over for it. No. All right. So would you rather have uh Fran Mill or uh, Max Kepler? Fran Mill. Interesting. All right. And then would you rather have I'm trying to think of another good comp for uh you know, like a power type profile. Um Fran Mill or Hunter Renfro? Ooh, I, I'll take Fran Mill over that one too. Okay, all right. So uh, let's let's get to the more tepid, bottom of the barrel Indian players. Um, Cesar Hernandez. He is low key underappreciated. Let's just take a minute to appreciate Cesar Hernandez. He's okay. It was a sneaky ad. I. I think it was the right move, and I really enjoy that they took and said they needed someone in second base, and there was a couple different options, but they took, I think, the safest uh, option out there, but also to some degree one with a lot of, uh, weirdly for someone of his age, with some upside and some rebound. I I do think it's going to be a good value for them. Um, Yeah, the question I had for you, you, the question I had for you is who's going to wind up more valuable to people this season? Is it going to be Cesar Hernandez or Greg Allen? I do think to a certain degree that will somewhat depend on uh, format um, that I think if you're in a, you know, weekly league or, you know, aren't really going to value or worry too much about stolen bases, I think Cesar Hernandez makes the most sense, Um, you know, given if especially if he comes back to his OBP ways, you don't, you know, it'd be really interesting to see where he ends up hitting in that lineup. Um, I'm uh, on record of saying I'd love to see him hit second instead of Mercado. Um, I'd like to see Mercado hit back with Reyes and let, let's, but uh, if Hernandez can get his, his walk rate way back up there, you suddenly look and you go Lindor and then Hernandez with the double digit walk rate, Santana with a double digit walk rate, uh, you know, Santana with his 400 OBP, you know, and then suddenly just, there's so many base runners for, for Jose Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes. And that's just like, that could be a real source of, of scoring, Otherwise, if he doesn't up hit and where roster resource has him right now, which is around sixth, then, you know, he could end up being that sort of like, you know, I remember in the Padres uh, discussion, we talked about how uh, Eric Hosmer, while none of us believe in his skills, is a sneaky source of RBIs. 
that you could really see, you know, when he's got Lindor, Mercado, Santana, Ramirez, and Reyes hitting in front of him that, that, you know, we could see Cesar Hernandez being a sneaky RBI source, if nothing else. Yeah. It was weird because, you know, 2018 was not a bad year for Cesar Hernandez, but by the metrics, 2019 was a much better season for him. If you look at like the pitch tracking and the way that he performed on each pitch, whether it's fastball, breaking ball, or off speed, he had a better exit velocity, a better launch angle, a better uh, uh, slug batting average, XBA, X slug, and WOBA. Then, well, outside of fastballs on the WOBA, but he performed much better statistically speaking on the underlying metrics in 2019 than 2018. And I just, I feel like he's probably got just enough in him to make him interesting as a middle infield option in a 14 team league. And, and I totally, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, to go to your point of, uh, the exit velocity and the, the launch angle and things like that, what I noticed when I was doing the write up was that, um, he, it seemed like to go to the other way of what we were kind of talking about earlier with uh, with Mercado that the Phillies because he started back he batted back around like sixth or seventh you know at uh, uh, for for the Phillies last year because they they had such a stacked lineup that he tried to I think move away from that OBP approach and was really aggressive early in the count um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head uh, on me but uh, if you look at the the write-up it does mention that that he was trying i think to put a lot more balls in play than he normally does whereas you know he tends to be another work the count you know get a lot of walks and things like that but that's when he was hitting early in the order and so i i wonder if that's a distinct a product of that that change in approach that he was just really aggressive early in the count trying to put a lot more balls in play and drive in those runners that like your job changed so he approached it differently kind of thing yeah what's up with the indians uh trying to find some sort of slappy fast like right fielder like I feel or or like outfielder I guess I should say so like over the last couple of years they've had players like Bradley Zimmer and Tyler Naquin and Abraham Almonte all these players that are just kind of like slappy and have some speed to them and they keep trying to force that issue and it just never turns out well and Greg Allen feels like the latest product in that in that field is am I wrong? Is he bad? He's bad, no, right? Yeah, he's bad. Um, I'd love to see Greg Allen uh, be something, but you know, I think what you're 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 nailing the uh, well the nail I guess uh, on the head um, that I think at some point they were looking at it's one of those things where you kind of I wonder if they were doing like a, well the market's zigging this way and we see value in that we can pick up in these these hitters that teams aren't really looking at, you know, this sort of because no one really goes too crazy anymore about these sort of slappy, you know, go the other way, hit all fields with speed kind of outfielders, you know, and I wonder if there's less zagging. They need to do less zagging. Exactly. (laughs) Honestly, I think what's fun is that when we get down to the, the prospects, I think you'll see that they're doing a little less zagging. But I do think they went through with Zimmer and Allen and a couple of these other guys. They really did try to they wanted that like, you know, uh, Kenny Lofton style, like old school, you know, leadoff hitter. And 
I just don't think Allen's it. And not to mention if I know the the question was Cesar Hernandez or Greg Allen. And don't get me wrong, if Allen ends up with a job and breaks the major league team in a daily league, uh, if you're really desperate for stolen bases, you know, he might because he, he does hit lefties really well that um, he might get enough plate appearances to actually steal some bases. Yeah, but, but if he's, if he's is, hitting against a lefty, he's not really stealing, right? And that's what I was going to say is that, you know, obviously with the lefty, it's so hard because they can pick you off so easily. But the thing is, even more so, why would they play Greg Allen when they can just play Delano to Shields? Right. 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 Or and, they could bring Rajai Davis back. Oh, gosh. Hey, Rajai Davis will always have a special place in my heart for that home <laughs> run in Game 7. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, if you ever man. want to see me get up in a crowded restaurant, uh, half crocked and sprint around a restaurant while everyone's watching me, that that's what happened <laughs> <laughs> when he hit that home run. Oh my gosh. It was great. Oh um, man. Um, well, let me ask you, we got one more player that we have to talk about, um, sure. because I refuse to overlook him like everybody else has, including the Tampa and Cleveland organizations. Mm-hmm. Jake Bowers will have his day in the sun finally, right? Right. He'll, he's going to do yeah. it this year? I don't know if it's this year. I think the hard part is that like, it's so easy to forget. I know. It's so easy to forget he's a baby. That kid's a baby. He, he's like 20, what, 24 as well? I yeah. mean, he just turned 24, right? Yeah. And I think it's interesting that he was so aggressively promoted when it's clear when he got up there that he has some things he has to figure out. And I don't know why the Indians fans bothered to what they kind of did last year. If you look at his month-to-month uh, hitting approach, he was right in line with what I was talking about, that like the Indians really seemed to push uh, hitters going the other way. And, you know, Bowers was coming up and up uh, such a huge pull hitter. And that's why I got really excited when they traded for him. I was like, this makes sense. They, they took extreme pull hitters in Lindor and Jose Ramirez and turned them into, you know, real true you know, power hitters. And I thought they would do the same with Bowers. Instead, they tried to get him to go to all fields. And I don't understand why they really didn't bother to have him do that in AAA. Right. You know, mm-hmm. where he would, you know, he could figure it out without being on like, on like the big stage and getting frustrated because you could feel him getting frustrated. But the biggest thing I think with, with Jake Bowers, that he's going to have to figure out. And I, I think that uh, he can do it is that, because, you know, when you look at his pull hitting, by the way, I want to throw some before I move on, that in June when he had his best month, I think he hit 247 with five home runs in the month of June. It was something in like 80 plate appearances, something that was – he was on fire. And always from the power perspective, it was when he pulled the ball almost 50%. So, you know, he really needs to pull the ball, I think, to be successful um, in a lot of ways. And I don't know why the Indians were pushing him away from that, um, uh, you know, right away. At the big leagues. But what he really needs to do is he's got great plate discipline. You know, he's really, really got a good eye for the ball. Um, you know, he walks a lot. That was kind of one of his big calling cards in the minors, you know, and with the Rays. We had like a 13% walk rate, you know, at 23. You're like, that's exciting. He takes too many pitches. Um, he's he's not aggressive enough. Um, and there are too many times when I watch games and the numbers back it up. that you watch a pitch go straight down the middle of the plate. Oh, oh. You know, first pitch of the account, and he just he he take it, and you're like, man, you got the power, you got to crush that ball if they're gonna throw you the meatball, and he just take pitches, and he just work these these full counts, and suddenly you saw when you work those full counts, you're yeah, you're gonna walk, and he still had a 10 percent uh, plus walk rate, but you're gonna strike out a lot too, and I think that really uh, got to him a lot was that like suddenly he he now he's facing big league pitchers and. 
you know, the big one they would do is they just they'd hit all the corners. You know, if you look at um, those uh, baseball savant has those really great uh, swing take profiles. And if you look at his swing take profile, he was really good at uh, at laying off of pitches out of the zone, both waste pitches and, you know, obviously bad pitches. Um, but then he was OK at pitches in the middle of the zone. But he was really bad at all pitches around the zone. And that's not necessarily unusual, but it, it, it's kind of the byproduct of also getting himself into too deep accounts where he can't be taking those pitches anymore. And uh, that's, I think, the big thing that's going to unlock Jake Bowers. He's just got to be more aggressive. Yeah. Do you want to take a minute just to be mad at Delano DeShields? I mean, it, technically, it's not really his fault that he's on the team, but like, right. But you are a little mad. I am. You know, and it's not his fault because obviously they traded my favorite pitcher ever for him. Yeah, uh, I agree. He's uh, also know, my favorite pitcher ever, so common ground. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but like, I do think that there is a role for Delano DeShields um, it, on the team. Uh, I think, you know, he's another one. It's it's silly. They've kind of stockpiled the guys who hit really well against lefties. Um, but no one in the outfield can hit uh, really great about righties. More to come on that in a minute. Um <laughs> But uh, that I do think that there's some sort of a plan in the fact that, like, he's got great defense. He can steal some bases, you know. Uh, when they got a lefty on the mound, he can come up there and, you know, lead off if they need to or do whatever they need if they need to get uh, Mercado a break. Or, you know, he's got a good enough arm where he can play right field, but also play left field if he needs to. He can kind of play all over the place. I think they just like that versatility in their fourth outfielder uh, a little bit in that sense. So, this is the thing is this is why I'm not good on it big on Greg Allen is that I think they wouldn't have traded for Delano the Shields if he's going to make the team. Right. right. So he's going to get the playing time there. Uh, it's a frustrating, of course. I would love to have seen them, you know, if they're going to move Kluber, move him for something big uh, or at least have spent the money they, they saved when they traded uh, Kluber. But I, I do think the, the Shields will have a role on this team. And Emmanuel Classe looks awesome. Yeah. So that's at least exciting. Yeah. Well, do you have anybody anybody else or anything else you want to hit on before we jump into the prospects? I do real quick, um, and you can let me know if I'm going. Uh, no, no, please, by all means. I do think that there's, yeah, um, I do think especially in Dynasty, but uh, a sneaky guy we need to pay attention to is Jake, uh, Jordan Luplo. Uh, Go you on. You know, so Luplo <laughs> came up. Yeah, right. I know. Hang in there with me. So Luplo was – they got him in a trade for virtually nothing uh, from the Pirates last year. It seems to be a pattern with the, the, the Pirates trading away players that then do well once they go away. Um, but uh, Luplo actually had a pretty solid season last year. He um, – in 261 plate appearances after they brought him up, uh, just past the Super 2, I believe, um, he had 276 with 15 home runs uh, and, and a – 12% walk rate uh, and a 137 WRC plus in those 261 plate appearances. That's pretty solid, right? Now, he crushes, I mean, uh, he just demolished lefties. Uh, against lefties, he had a 422 ISO with a 16.8 uh, walk rate, a 33.3 uh, home run per fly ball percent, and a 198 WRC plus. So he's, you know, he, he had a lot of success against lefties last year and was a big bat for them. The thing is, the Indians have kind of started to hint that if he can show in spring training and early on in the season um, that he can hit righties too, that the job in left field is his. 
you know, and Lupo's young. He's not uh, he's not old. He's only I think gotta look it up, but I think he's only like twenty he's in his mid twenties, I wanna say, but you know, so he's still got a lot of value. He's a young guy. So if you can prove they can hit, you never know that there could be some real, real value there. Uh, and looking back at Jordan Luplo is thirty three. When he was drafted. Jordan Luplo's twenty six. No, I was just trying to mess with you. Uh, Damn it. All right. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> I just wanted you to be like, wait, yeah, what? <laughs> oh man, I want to look like him. I'm already past thirty three, but I, I wish I looked like him at thirty three then. Um uh, but I was looking at like prospects live and a couple of the big prospect sites. And one of the things that like I saw from his draft profiles when he was drafted by the pirates is that, um, and then prospect slide had a, uh, uh, an article talking about this when he was traded to the Indians that they, they said he, you know, they didn't expect huge things out of him, but that he had this smooth, easy swing that they didn't see any possibility really for like big splits issues or that it would really cause him trouble down the line in terms of hitting both righties and lefties. Mm -hmm. So the profile is there for him to be able to hit both sides of the ball. And, you know, if you can see, you know, if he can get full time playing uh, there in left field and he does manage to hit righties, what is somewhere in that again, 25, you know, 280, 25 home runs, you know, uh, is that is that in the realm of possibility? And even if he only continues to kill uh, lefties, you know, again in daily leagues, uh, you know, uh, uh, anything like Otnu or things that where you're always looking for value, like you know, big dynasty leagues where you've got these huge rosters, he can really provide some some real uh, value there. So I think I think it's worth keeping an eye on Luplo as well. All right, so this has been your Jordan Luplo five minutes. Um, I do not intend to talk about him for the rest of the season. So anybody that needs those Jordan, anything that you need for Jordan Luplo, you you hit up Daniel J. Port, at Daniel J. Port on Twitter, and he will just go Um, off for you. I will. I did indeed. (laughs) All right, so so we're going to transition over to the prospects. And this is the prospect transition. Here we go to the transition of the prospects with Daniel Port. Hi, Daniel. Hello. All right, here we go. We're back again. Uh, Let's do it. All right. All right. So um, I have a story for you, and and this is probably one of my favorite baseball stories. Um, I love Bobby Bradley, and here's why I love Bobby Bradley. Um, last year, the Durham Bulls were kind enough to let me have a press pass where I could come in and interview players and come to BP and do all of that good stuff. Um, and I came to uh, watch the, the I guess they were Akron at the time. I don't know if they were Akron. I don't remember what they were. I think they were Akron, uh, the AAA team for the, the Cleveland Ball Club. Uh, and Bobby Bradley was up there roping balls left and right. And there is a giant um, uh, overlook um, from a what they call the American Tobacco uh, uh, Campus, um, where there's a restaurant and a bar that people can look out and watch the baseball game. And Bobby Bradley absolutely smokes one. And it's at a pretty high level. Like, it's not um, green monster level, but it's pretty high. 
and he absolutely ropes one and it goes to that deck that upper deck area where people are watching batting practice take place and there's a guy that's standing there not paying attention and it just hits him in the back of like the neck back like back area and the guy just drops and you see all of these people run over and try to like help him and help him up and everything like that and Bobby Bradley just looks over and he shrugs his shoulders and goes, well, it's not the first time this has happened and, and he should have been paying attention. And he just continues on and keeps smoking balls oh left gosh. and right. And then you feel so bad for whatever that happened to because that guy was not watching it coming. But all that to say, Bobby, Bobby Bradley is amazing. I love him. But he is a quad A player, probably, right? He's probably quad A. Yeah, that's... That's my concern. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, that that story is amazing. I love it. Uh, you know, and it's a really interesting, you know, it's one of those guys that like, I think you're right. I think he's going to be a quad A player. But if it all clicks, you never know because the other thing, things are really stand out, you know. But he can't – he just – what is it? He came up for a little cup of coffee last year yeah. and what struck out 40.8% of the time. Yeah, it wasn't good. 18.3% swing strike rate. Right? That's right. tough. Uh, but the funny thing is, and this is actually, I don't want to go too hard into because I think I agree with you. I, I don't necessarily see a huge future for Bobby Bradley um, unless he fixes that problem. But what's weird is his, uh, his bad, like when he was up there and when that was going on, his play discipline numbers weren't the worst. Like, you know, 36.8% of swing rate isn't wow, great. That's, that's um, damning with fan yeah, praise. That's bad. Yeah, uh, it isn't great, but it's not the worst either um but you know he what i would say is that the thing that's gonna end up i think telling us is whether or not it's just gonna be a time thing because he's either gonna have to figure out what he really struggled against was breaking balls and off-speed pitches uh he couldn't hit them to save his life i think you know looking at it uh he whiffed at 50 percent of all breaking pitches he saw um which just can't happen um and then crushed the fastball so when he saw a fastball uh, he got hit a 316 batting average with a 632 slugging uh, uh, average and a 433 wOBA, and that kind of lines up with what he's essentially done uh, against the fastball in the minors. He hits the fastball really well, and when he hit the ball, he actually like, you know, did pretty well. It was an 8% barrel percentage, a 10.1 launch angle, which we'd like to see that come up, but still, 91.9 uh, exit velocity, which is speaks to the the power and the hard hitting that you were talking about when you saw him in person and a 40% hard hit rate. So like some of the things are there. He's just got to figure out how to hit a breaking ball Anymore. or at least not swing at it. <laughs> you no. Know, right. Yeah. Uh, are you, I just don't know if he's going to do that. Yeah. I just, I, he looks to me like the kind of guy who's going to really do awesome in like the Japanese league in, in about three years. He just feels like a dude that's going to, like, Aaron ta Eric tames this. And he's going to go there and he's just going to rope. And he's going to hit all sorts of bombs and, and and be really successful there. And I'm happy for him. I, uh, yeah, I kind of see it too. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there are a bunch of interesting names here. I'm going to kind of let you uh, choose your own adventure here. All right? Because um, I wrote down a bunch of names here. Uh, Brian Rocchio... Uh, Aaron Brocco, Daniel Johnson, mm -hmm. couple middle infielders oh, man, that are super interesting. Yeah, which one you want to talk about? Oh man, I want to talk about them all. I like those guys so much. Go uh, off. You if name, you want to like, talk about them, talk, talk about them. Yeah. 
So I think the first guy to, to talk about maybe is the most uh, immediately relevant, which is uh, Daniel Johnson, right? So Daniel Johnson's interesting. Um, he's so, so very fast. He's a very, very fast guy. Um, and, and, you know, for an outfielder, he's a can, absolute cannon for an arm. I think uh, you just kind of saw as I was looking through scouting reports for him over and over, 60-grade arm, 70-grade arm. Like this dude's got a cannon. Um, and when he hits the ball – he hits it hard, hits it, uh, you know, uh, really far, really hard. The question's always been, could he make enough contact to be successful at any level? Um, and he came over in the from the Nationals last year in a trade with uh, the Young Gomes trade uh, with the Indians. And, you know, he made small steps to give you some hope. I mean, he made good, good contact. I think he hit at AAA. I think he ended up hitting like 253 or something like that. I think he hit pretty well there. But then he uh, he walked more uh, than he ever has, and he struck out less. And that's kind of – you start to speak to that improving contact rate and things that we wanted to see. But the biggest thing is he hits righties really, really well, uh, at least so far in the minors. He's hit he, he's mostly hit righties, struggled a little bit against lefties. Um, and, you know, this somewhat makes sense as a, as a lefty. He, he's a lefty hitter. Um What's fascinating is obviously, as we talked about before, and this is kind of why I wanted to tie this in before I got too far in, is we've talked about Jordan Luplo, who hits lefties real well. We've oh talked God, about the line of the Shields, who hits lefties real well. <laughs> is that some, suddenly, would, could we see, and I probably would, wouldn't expect it until after the Super 2, because again, not to harbor the point too much, but the Indians are cheap, uh, that we might, I wouldn't be shocked if, we start seeing him on the on the strong side of a platoon, uh, playing almost every day. You know, uh, up there, uh, you know, and, and taking, uh, you know, the hacks against the the people he sees best. Which again, and, and, you know, start talking about. I know it's you know you get to weekly leagues and things like that. You don't really want to ever look at platoon players, but he, you know, he really hits uh, righties well and. That could be a really great pairing for him to get his feet underneath him, and then we can really see what he's got going on. And if that's the case, then we could see some some real stolen base potential. Yeah. Uh, just with his speed is unreal. So, yeah. uh, dude, you know, it's he's a dude that I can definitely he's... see with like twenty five plus home, like twenty five home runs, easy. Like just if yeah. he can, if being who he is, the strength that he has, I, it's a question of whether or not he can hit that two sixty. 270 to make it palatable you know what i mean i i doubt that he does i feel like he's going to be like less than 260 but not like abysmal joey gallo but it's going to be pretty pretty rough there it'll be interesting to see if he can i i don't necessarily disagree with you at all um you know and by the way i want to correct myself real quick because i just double checked it when he came up to triple a last year with the indians he actually had 306 uh, and mind you, it took a 370 babe up to do it, but you know, with his speed to, to put up a 330, 340 babe up isn't that crazy. Uh, but that, yeah, he did he did hit pretty well, and he still walks a decent amount. Amount, I mean, an 8.9 percent walk rate at AAA is not bad. Uh, so I mean, you know, it'll be interesting to see if if he can make that leap. Uh, I would definitely think if he comes out and has a real strong spring training, uh, you know, I mean. Goodbye, Greg Allen. You know, I could see him winning out over a lot of these guys. So it could be really interesting to see what he does. Yeah. So Aaron Brocco? Yeah. Your guy. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I love this guy. Uh, this guy, so it's interesting. You'll see a lot of 
the Indians, we talked about like uh, when teams have a profile they seem to love. And there was that period of time where the Indians went out to these sort of slappy, well, I almost want to say professional hitter, like, you know, that that term, like you, you'd see me making air quotes around it, you know, uh, hitter in the outfield. And then they kind of went nuts. And unfortunately, it probably is because they're going to get, you know, let Francisco Lindor walk in a year or two um, is that uh, they, they went m- middle infield crazy, uh, especially using international money uh, over with uh, a lot of. Uh, Hispanic players and bringing them over and uh, really taking advantage over what seems like uh, based on the amount of talent they've gotten a market inefficiency. Um, So to say that they basically took and said, how many guys can we get who seem like a carbon copy of Jose Ramirez? (laughs) And, you know, they really kind of this sort of smaller uh, stature guy who hits the ball really hard and has a mixture of power or possible power and speed. And, you know, a lot of the times, and if you followed Jose Ramirez when he first came up, this was Jose Ramirez, uh, the Jose Ramirez blueprint. He hit the ball really hard, didn't quite pull the ball enough, didn't quite get any power out of it, but you're like, but it's there if he can get it up in the air. And they unlocked Jose Ramirez. And uh, kind of the three or four guys we're going to talk about are kind of just going to kind of keep saying this template over and over and over. The difference is uh, uh, Brocco has already started showing the power. Uh, so he's already pr- surpassing uh, that that platform. And he's, you know, in his first full season, you know, is really starting to just absolutely destroy the ball. He had a hard time, I guess. Uh, he fractured his right arm in uh, 2018, I want to say. And that kind of seems to have lowered. He was originally pegged to be a shortstop. And I think he'll be more of a second baseman because of the way that hurt his development. But um, but the power in 2019, he in just 169 plate appearances hit 281 with a 402 OBP, a 570 uh, slug, with eight home runs and four stolen bases. Uh, just is that good? Frame of or... reference. Yeah, to put just over frame of reference, uh, I did the math, and if you were to put that over a full, full 162 games, that's 30 plus home runs and 17 stolen bases. Mm. So you know, feels uh, like Jose a... Ramirez esque. Right. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Uh, And, you know, everyone's kind of really excited about him, but he's kind of still slipping on the radar because of that injury. And I think we're going to see he's going to shoot up uh, uh, boards this year. I really think so. I think we're going to really get excited about him as the spot for him is that, like, as we talked about, the only person playing second base and literally the only person on the team who can really play second base uh, that's a starter quality person, Cesar Hernandez. So second base is wide open for him to come take if he if he gets going. And of course, uh, from an age perspective, if you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, from his age perspective, he's uh, 18 years old still. Uh, you know, so and he's already probably going to start at A ball next year. So you're talking about a guy who, you know, has got. Age on his side uh, is already showing the, the the power and all the things you want to see. I'm in. How do you not like this guy? Yeah, yeah, I love him. Uh, so, so the last one is is Brian Rocchio, and yeah. and he's uh, my guy. I like him a lot, and I I kind of want to know what you feel about if if I should be as excited as I am, unnecessarily absolutely. excited. No, absolutely, you should be all on board. I like Rocchio. I think. 
he is a little more of the the real like uh jose ramirez template in that like again when jose ramirez came up it was really fascinating there was like this season when he first came up uh and got like a little cup of coffee uh as a rookie you just watch and he just scorched the ball everywhere. Everything he hit was real hard. And it kind of got disguised because it was that classic, like, it was always at someone. And, you know, it was always kind of on the ground to line drives. It wasn't really in the air in a way we'd like to. And then the Indians sat down with him in the offseason, got him to say, hey, we're going to have you put the ball in the air and just keep hitting it hard. And next thing you know, we got Jose Ramirez. And right now, that's kind of the profile we're seeing out of Rokio is that he's uh, hit hit tool first before power, but just barrels the ball like crazy, hits really hard, um, and everyone just raves about his baseball like he was pitch recognition. Like all of those things are like the skill set that you kind of want, you know, if nothing else. I'd see the mind there, and I think that's, you know, he, he's every scout is just like, listen, this kid knows baseball. And Honestly, he's going to be there apparent to to, uh, to Lindor. Uh, the, the, you know, he's, he's supposedly a really good defensive shortstop. He's got good speed. I think in just under 300 plate appearances, he stole 14 bases in 2019. I yeah, you should be very excited about this guy. Okay. Uh, well, if you were if you were to had to pick one today, would you pick Rokio, Bracco, or Johnson? If I had to pick one today, I think it's uh, I think it's Bracco. Um, but it's very close between Brocco and Rokio. I think, uh, especially since, you know, you see with, with, uh, Rokio that like, there's clearly where they want him to go is over there in shortstop and that he will be that, like, he'll have that role. And so I could see that being the kind of thing that leads to a, a much, uh, direct path. But I just, I mean, it just feels like the ceiling for Brocco is sky high. Uh, like that's, that's a superstar uh, potential. Uh, on there and I, so that's that's my pick but at the same time uh there's a lot to like about Rokio I, he's already striking out 13.6 percent of the time uh, you know even at a uh, lower a ball so it's just a lot to like in both these guys uh Johnson I think is a good wild card in that sense of just like he's so close to the majors that you know, I think a lot of times in Dynasty, it's fun to target those guys because you get to see an immediate return on that. But like, uh, but if I were to rank them, I'd go Brocco, Rokio, John Johnson, and Brocco and Rokio are pretty close. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Nolan Jones for a second. And sure. And I'm going to be less rosy on him than I am on most of the others. Uh, I'm not thrilled with him. And I feel like he's overrated. And people want him to be better than he is. Uh, am I wrong? Because like I, I feel like know, he has a lot of swing and miss, like a lot. Right, and you know one of the things I put in my notes because uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I think the big thing is that with with Nolan Jones, I think the big thing is that you have to pay a little more attention to K minus walk than K percent on its own. So one of the big things you see, A, in every scouting report, and B, just in the numbers themselves, is that uh, obviously Nolan Jones has, and it's his, it's calling card, really, is his uh, plate discipline and his eye at the plate is just, you know, the, the, the scouts rave about it uh, and that he, you know, has this really great eye for when to do it. But again, uh, sort of to repeat the pattern is, mm-hmm. 
if you're going to take a lot of pitches, if you're going to see a lot of counts late in the game and you're not a superstar, right? That's going to lead to, uh, you know, if your walks and if there, I wonder, I'd love to do a study on it to see if there is typically in most players, when you see a rise in, in walk percentage, a rise in, you know, corresponding key percentage. And then therefore, when you're also more aggressive in counts as you, as you, you know, does your walk percent and K percent also go down because obviously just in less counts that have two strikes. And so I, I do to a certain degree have a suspicion that as he's seeing more, uh, as he's going in deep in these counts, at some point I do think he's going to have to make an adjustment to be a little more aggressive um, to keep that K rate uh, manageable. But also if he's walking at a 12, 13, 14% rate, I, I don't really care how often he strikes out. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting <laughs> to me. Uh, I want to see how he adjusts once. I think he'll, he'll start the year again at double A and he'll be there for at least half the season. And if his mm-hmm. K percentage is still at about 30%, I'll have a problem with that <clears throat> because it's not going to get any sense. easier when he gets up to triple A and into the majors. He's going to have to cut that percentage by a few points to to for me to be comfortable. Um, because, yeah, you could still hit 240 and still be good in, in this MLB environment. But like if you it's something in that in those numbers speak to pitch recognition. And if you can't hit mm-hmm. those breaking balls or those nice polished off speed pitches, then you're going to have an even more difficult time. Get it when you once you get up to more advanced arms. So I'm not completely off on him, but. I feel like I'm. I have my hand on the warning flag, and I'm and I'm ready to pull it up and start waving it. Um, if a month and a half into the season he hasn't kind of cleaned it up a little bit, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm right there with you in that. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, triple A. I mean, I'm sorry, double A uh, in 211 play appearances at 29.9 K percent. Like you just can't have that. You better be hitting for Joey Gallo power if that's going to be the case. Um, you know, one of the things that to kind of go to give a full, try and give a full context to it. One thing that is kind of been, we've seen since he came out the double a is that he, uh, the doubles that he's been hitting, he's always been a kind of a gap to gap doubles hitter coming up through the minors. We're starting to see it go over the fence more, right? Uh, what was it? He finally got his home run for fly ball up to a double a was 19.5%. Um, you know, so – and what's fascinating to me is he hit uh, a 35% fly ball percentage with that 19.5 home run per fly ball, which is pretty nice. The crazy part is that he went uh, – if you look at the way he swung at, you'd expect with that profile something like a heavy pull hitter, right? And instead, he was actually a 35.1 pull percentage, a 22.8 uh, to center field, which is fine. Uh, we don't really want him hit there too far. But then a 42.1 opposite field percentage. So it's an interesting trade-off to see if he's if he's trying something. What was going on there? Um, I, I'd be fascinated to know. I wish uh, I wish I had a little more on the plate discipline numbers from the minor leagues to see what his O swings and stuff like that were. But you know, there's really it's really a, a couple fascinating numbers in there to see what he's doing. But if he can hit the ball, if he can have a 19.5% uh, home run per fly ball rate while going to the opposite field 42.1% of the time. You're starting to wonder if this, if he's growing into his power suddenly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something that I'll be keeping my eye on for sure. And I think you're right. I think if nothing else, we're not going to see him till the Super 2 at the very earliest. And it's worth noting his defense is very bad. 
Yeah, I don't. Which think, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's coming so, up this year. My suspicion is I have one suspicion in which we might see him. So as we talked before, Fran Milray, you know, in the best shape of his life, they're going to give him the chance to win the right field job, right? Mm-hmm. If he does, the question that everyone who's been Indians fan has been asking is then who the heck DHs, right? Well, uh, it could be Nolan Jones, Delano right? Delano DeShields. The Super 2. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll cry. <laughs> I, I will riot. I will fly to Cleveland, Cleveland and, and riot. Um, no, uh, that I do wonder if that's maybe where they're starting to see him is to say, hey, we should be working to keep DH open because if he can't defend, we'd like his bat in there. And it's worth saying that pretty much every scouting profile across the board says that, you know, he, you know, that he has the kind of easy, smooth swing that can, you know, all fields approach that should be good at hitting the ball. So uh, I'm willing to take a bet still on the on the scouts to see what's going to happen. But I admit to you, uh, I will be paying a very, very strong uh, attention to that K rate and seeing how he approaches that and go from there. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to wrap up here in just a minute, but uh, just, okay. just really fast. Do you remember Bradley Zimmer? No, I do. You it remember him? Sad. <laughs> I People do. People were so excited about him. Yeah. I mean, he's another guy who just like got, make contact with the ball. Like, yeah. I mean, he's kind of Daniel Johnson's basically prior to Lee Summer 2.0, right? Yeah. Like, he used to be so, something. Uh, like, he used to be something interesting, and now he's not. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't... There's nothing to see there. I don't... He's got to be healthy first, and yeah. I just don't... I don't see that being the case. Logan Allen, Tristan McKenzie, or Daniel Espino? You pick. Who do you like more? Oh, man. Uh, so, honestly, this is going to be a little out of left field, but I think it's Logan Allen actually. No, I like him. Um, uh, so the funny thing is when you take and look at say Tristan McKenzie, it's a pretty example of that. That kid's got all the skill, the talent is there. The pitches are there. He's got everything going for him. He's got to put on some weight. Uh, he's got to build his body will not. And so far hasn't held up to he's, uh, if you look at his profile, he's really tall and really, really rail thin, right? Um, and you know, it's only 22, so we'll see what his body can still do. But, uh, I do think that there's a, uh, there's something to be said for the idea that you have to wonder if at some point his body makes him into a reliever or if it's just, he's going to have to sit in double A AA and triple A until he gets older and fills out. Um, and he, but, um, that, with that being said, he's obviously the most skilled of those three. Uh, and I will say in dynasty, if you've got someone who's like, nope, I'm out definitely worth trying to go after Tristan McKenzie. Yeah. Uh, if it's cheap. Yeah. But, uh, it should be but cheap. With, right. But with Logan mm-hmm. Allen, uh, you know, he kind of fits again to go into that. The Indians are a team that like, they have a profile, they have a player they like to go for and they just try to accumulate as many of them as they can. Right. And Logan Allen is that player who's like, if you look at the not so great fastball, really great breaking balls, uh, you know, pitcher that the Indians love to have, like Logan Allen falls right into that, uh, you know, that range of things, you know, he doesn't quite have, because even if you take like Bieber or Clevenger, or like those guys, they, they at least have, I mean, Clevenger has a really good fastball, but like Bieber at least has something, you know, as a fastball, but uh, Allen doesn't really have that, but he's got a great change up and a good slider and a good curve. And if I, I trust anyone to take, yeah, and make something out of that profile. It's the Indians. This is like what they do. 
and he's at AAA already. All it's really going to take is one, one injury, one trade, whatever, and suddenly Logan Allen's in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, he's the next and he's still young. or uh, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, Daniel, we are at an hour and fifteen minutes. We talked a lot cool. of Cleveland ball club. <laughs> We talked you a just lot. Just let me kind of ramble on. No, no, it's great. <laughs> yeah. You you go and you talk about so much and you go in depth and the information is phenomenal. So I'm happy to just take a back seat sometimes and let you go. I'm, I really am. So, so well, I here, it. T- you know, today is, is National Palindrome Day. We're closing in on the end of uh, national or international palindrome day. Uh, the, oh. the Kansas City Chiefs have just won the Super Bowl. Uh, pitcher list is getting ready to unveil their, uh, their, their, what is this now? 6.0, 5.0, 5.0, 5.0. that mean for the listeners? What does that mean? Do, can you tell us? Cause I don't even know anymore. You know, I don't want to give away too much. Uh, cause I can, I can see Nick flying out here and hunting me down and, uh, you know, uh, taking me out, but, well, uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, I mean, we are, right. this is probably going to be released in about a week. So, so I can tell, I can tell everybody this, it's going to be super interesting. We have a subscription platform now. Uh, there's going to be a Twitch, uh, stream and, uh, we are going to be doing a lot more video, uh, based platform, right? Absolutely. And you know, absolutely. And you know, it's really interesting to kind of give you a few things that I can tell you about. Uh, since this is coming out after the release, I can tell you, uh, by the way, for that subscription, if you have any questions or are curious about how that works or whatever, uh, actually, um, you should reach out to me. Um, I'm at Daniel J. Port, or you can find me, uh, you know, obviously through the Discord or anything like that. But uh, Can you give us your you personal phone number, know, too? I'm actually – yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eight six seven five three zero nine. But uh, you know, uh, there's like there's I'm at least forty percent of our listeners who are not going to get that joke. <laughs> I know, right? I just aged myself so bad. No, I had I had um, I had like, Jai Correa on um, a couple weeks yeah. uh, over the last couple ones, and he's actually going to be coming out in tomorrow's episode. He he made me feel so old. I think he's still like twenty one, and it just bums oh, me no. out. Uh, we were talking about Evan Longoria, and he just has like no concept of how good he used to be. Oh no! Oh, oh man, that, that makes me feel old too. <laughs> but all I was gonna say is that like um, I will be actually a large chunk of how we set that up and uh, handling that changeover. Um, so if you want, if you have any questions, anything you want to know about that system or what we're going to do, please don't hesitate to reach out with me, uh, and chat and I can let, I can, uh, help answer any questions you might have. Um, one other thing to talk about, we have that we just kicked off the newsletter has been coming back out. We're going to do a lot of new things with that, uh, trivia contests, giveaways, all kinds of new stuff's coming out with that. Um, and on the video side of things to kind of give you an idea of what I've got coming up, um, we're doing a big uh, new draft, um, coming up in uh i want to say march 15th uh and the 16th we're doing it over two days and uh dave Sherman and i are actually going to be uh live casting it so we're going to be giving commentary as it goes through uh and i believe Fa- alex fast is going to moderate it and so we're going to be doing a lot of that on the twitch stream we're going to be, we're going to be doing friend a lot of, the, of different friend of the stuff show like that. mark mcelroy will also be a part of that Yes, he's uh, he's the commissioner. He's really helping. He's done a fantastic job with it. So, uh, and actually, to give Mark a big shout out, he's actually a big help with us over at the uh, on the newsletter. It's kind of me and him over there right now. So, uh, he's been just killing it. Um, so, sorry, big shout Daniel. Out to Mark. 
I get, I failed. Yeah. I failed miserably at that. What's up? I failed miserably at that newsletter. I used to be. A, oh no, you. I fell I, off. I fell you off. Were, Daniel was committed. Was I fell off. Yeah. You did great. I, you were a huge help. So thank you. I appreciate that as well. Um, but then, uh, yeah. And so we've got a lot of stuff like that coming out. Um, you know, so keep an eye out. We're going to keep uh, doing new video stuff. It's going to be really fun. We're really pumped. Yeah, man. All right. Well, hey, yeah. thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And, and thanks so much for having and, me. And uh, I apologize in advance for all of my swears that I have on the channel. Oh, we'll, we'll, you, you and me, we'll, I'll put you in, uh, in the timeout. Don't worry. <laughs> all right, man. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> all right. All talk right. to you later. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Bye.